You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 109 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Um, I, well, I've got a bit of a festival hangover, but apart from oh, that, yeah. I'm splendid. Fantastic. And how was the festival for you? So we're talking about the Sydney Writers' Festival, yes? Yes, I was um, in Wollongong yesterday as part of the Sydney Writers' Festival live and local program, um, doing a little reading and stuff in the dressing room next to Peter Garrett, though I did not uh-huh. have to confess see Peter Garrett, Bum. just the dressing room. But, you know, close, right? Close. Very close. You could Very be close. breathe the same air. We were breathing the same air. It was fabulous. Um mm. So uh, yes, and it was it was great. It was really good, and there was a it was a really good uh, local program, and they were live streaming the Sydney Writers Festival sessions into the town hall, and it was mm. all very glamorous and wonderful. I had a great time. Not only glamorous and wonderful, but this would definitely be the only Sydney Writers Festival in my you know living history <laughs> in my life that I can that- remember that it wasn't cold and rainy. I mean, of course, there are sometimes the sun does come out, but in every single other festival, there has been rain at some point. That's a point. I remember us talking about this last year and you were telling me, because I was going to present workshops in Sydney last year and you were telling me to pack my umbrella. And, and food. And food. Food's it's hard right. to get around. <laughs> it's all right when you're in the green room. There's food there, well, trust me. Yes, yes. So there's, um, yeah, stunning weather. Stunning, stunning festival. Um, so very, very pleasant just to walk around, take in the ambience and you know, all of that sort of thing, even if you didn't want to line up for an hour and a half for some of the sessions. <laughs> even if you didn't. Yeah, it's awesome. That's so is that, is that what you did? Is that what you spent your week doing, lining just, up for sessions? No. I, 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 I just did networking outside of the sessions oh. because I don't line up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, what, you just parked yourself outside the door and talked to anyone who came past? No, you know, you always bump into people. Yeah. You always bump into people that, that you know, they're all there. It's a great place to network. I believe in lobby networking. So where you go to conferences, you hang out in the lobby. So you don't actually go into the conference at all. Well, you, just you, you can if you want. You can if you want. I'm not like some of those people who will actually travel to conferences just to hang in the lobby. Okay. Because I'm at least you, I'm glad you clarified <laughs> that because I was getting worried for a moment. Because there. at least the Sydney Writers Festival, I wouldn't say I travel to it. It's just across the river. You know what I mean? That's true. Yes. <laughs> and you do see all your friends there and stuff like that. So it's it's great fun from a networking point of view if you don't want to line up. But but if you were to line up, this was the year to have done it because you wouldn't have been standing in the cold and wet rain. <laughs> I'm so glad you had a successful festival. Yes, yes, very successful. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. We want to give a shout out to WMM Willis from Australia. Yes, 
who what left does M stand for? I don't know. It sounds like very authory. Uh, who has left us a review on iTunes? And WMM Willis has said, "Great podcast. If you want to uh, write, you have to subscribe. Great content and interesting interviews, and two wonderful presenters. Thanks, Val and Al. I hope you continue for many episodes to come." Wow, there you go. Thank you so much, WMM Willis. That's the sort of stuff that keeps us going. It does. You know Val only reads these out every week just to to perk me up, just to make my day and perk me up for the week. It's excellent. Thank you. It's like the best pep talk ever. Yeah, just to keep us going. If you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings and keeps us up there so more people can discover so you want to be a writer. But let's move on to the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week, shall we, Al? We shall. Let's do that. What have you got for us, Valerie? What have we got? I loved this um, post that was featured on The Millions uh, and it's by Nick Ripetrazzoni and it's called Dear Novel on Breaking Up with Your Manuscript. And Nick has written a, a breakup letter. Oh, a Dear John letter, for example. <laughs> yes, to his manuscript. And he said, Dear Novel, it's over. We both know it. That's not to say it hasn't been fun. We got together in the summer of 2012. You were a short story, a few thousand glorious words, but I wanted you to be more. <laughs> Every fiction I don't know I... about the breathy voice. <laughs> People always start wondering about us. <laughs> Every fiction writer thinks they need to be in a long-term relationship. I hated when people called you manuscript. You were better than that. You were always a novel, at least in my mind. Yeah, and stop. stop. He, <laughs> he writes this whole ode to this novel. And it's awesome because apart from being very funny, because you recognise all of the things that you probably do uh, in it as well when you, you've got a novel that's just not quite right, you know, but you can't quite let go. Uh, and, and apart from being very funny, it's, um, it's just so true about the feelings that you have for something that kind of was special but isn't quite the right thing and you realise that you've got to walk away. So uh, particularly like this bit. You got frustrated. You told me that only an idiot makes an Excel document to collect agent rejections. You said that I was trying to turn you into a thriller when you were really a literary novel. You wanted character. I knew agents wanted plot and thought. It's so true. When, you, like, when you've got something that's not quite right and then you're making changes thinking, well, if I just do this and if I just do that, maybe that's enough to get it over the line. Yep. And in the end, you just have to go, you know what, you just need to go in a drawer. Yeah. Never to be seen again. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. So we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. But um he does Nick does end with the last agent to say no wanted to change your soul and I refused. I closed the email, brought you onto the desktop one last time, but didn't tell you the truth. So here I am. I'm sorry, I won't forget or delete you but I've got to move on. Do you know what I think is the most interesting thing about that entire letter is that line, I won't forget or delete. Yes. I have got entire manuscripts on my desktop. Well, in a, I have them in a folder now because I'm much more organised. And I know that they are never going anywhere and I know that they are just, you know, like they are just the manuscripts you have to have before you get an actual thing. Mm. Um, but I cannot delete them. 
I will never delete them. They will be sitting there forevermore because they represent just a hundred thousand hours of my life. eh? But also there's just always that idea that maybe one day I'm going to be working on something else and I'm going to be like, you know what? That thing that I did back there in 2003, maybe that's the thing I need to put right here. So it's a it, you, words are never wasted, mm. and you can never I can never delete them. Yeah, which is why my desktop is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, you 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 never delete them, and you, they end up on you know hard drive somewhere or thumb thumb drive somewhere, and um, uh, and yeah, because you keep thinking you might come back to them. Well, there's that thing too of, you know, like uh, I wrote a novel, it's got three characters in it that I really, really like. I've always really, really liked them. Mm. So maybe they were just the right characters in the wrong story. So yes. maybe at some point, you know, I'm going to reassess and do something else and maybe they'll come back in some other form. So yeah, no, don't delete. Deleting is so final. Yeah, very final. So let's move on to our next uh, link, and this is a um, this is a link that uh, is an oldie but a goodie. It's from Publishing Talk, and it's about what you should do if you're thinking of joining a writers group, because we're often told that it's really useful to workshop our work and to join a writers group, and you hear very mixed stories mixed experiences from people they either love their writers group but become best friends with them and then 20 years later they're still they're looking at each other are looking going to each other's children's weddings or that sort of thing um or they have people don't have a good experience so um this has some questions that you should ask yourself if you're thinking of joining a writers group so let me just have a look here I'm going to bring it up because, of course, I'm not well organised enough. (laughs) Sorry. Of course, the first question they tell you to ask is, is it well (laughs) organised? Oh. (laughs) Of course, you don't know, but you can ask people who are in the in the group as well and maybe you can ask to sit in on one session before you commit mm-hmm. um also does it run to format or do they do they ramble and talk about other things or get distracted by what's on tv or whatever is it convenient because the reality is just like the gym if it's not convenient and nearby you're not gonna go right do you want feedback because and are you ready to receive feedback because that's the point of a writer's group Mm. and you really need to be open you might not agree with all of the feedback but you really need to be open to hearing what other people have to say because they if they have struggle with certain areas of it as a reader then your other readers are going to as well yeah yeah Mm. and of course is it on your level as well because you want to be workshopping with your peers, don't you? Yes, you do. It's always good to have some, it's good to have people, it's good to have a mix. Like it's, it's always good to have someone um, or a couple of people that are, you know, a little bit ahead of you as well, because I think that way you do get very valuable feedback. But I also think that the most important thing you need to think about with any writer's group is what do you want out of it? Like before you even start, think about what you actually want out of it. If you just want to be able to go along once a month or once a week or however long they meet, how often they meet, 
and and to have made progress so that you're looking for accountability. Like you just want to be like, okay, I need to write 500 words a week because I need to take it to my writer's group. Mm. For some people, that's all they want. Other people want detailed feedback on every scene. Mm. Um, other people just really like the sound of their own voice and want to go and sort of talk mm-hmm. about writing. And and so the, the advice to go and sit in, like if you – because you often see writer's group advertising for new members mm-hmm. and um, the – Going and having a look at them is not a bad idea because it does give you an idea of the personality mix um, because, you know, there is often one very dominant personality in any group and you need to decide whether or not you can actually work with that dominant personality or not. Yes. Very that important. is true. That is true. And I love your point that sometimes you just want to be accountable to, yeah. for you to write 500, 1,000 or whatever yeah. words per week. And if that's the case, just find other people who want to be accountable so that that's, you know, so that you're all there with the same goal, that you're just there basically to cheer each other on and be accountable and maybe you're not yet ready for the feedback because yeah. you're still writing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, different levels of writers' groups. Um, and I will also put a link in the show notes to a post I wrote a few years ago called uh, should, you know, should I Join a Writers' Group? Because the other thing to remember too is that some writers' groups are online. You don't actually have to meet face-to-face and they, take place, they can take place in like a forum type of situation. And the Romance Writers of Australia are very, very good at putting together online writers' groups and I'm sure that other um, writing uh, – we, we actually have one – don't we? There, yes, yes. There are, yep. a graduates group in the yep, absolutely. Australian Writers' Centre, yep. which doesn't get um, vacancies very often. Mm. So it's always worth keeping an eye out for these things. Um, I, I have, was, when I first started writing out, a member of online writers' groups, and I found them invaluable from an accountability perspective. I wasn't really looking for feedback so much because I find people tend to get caught up in small details, which at that stage, all I wanted to do was get the manuscript finished. Um, what I wanted was, you know, like, where's your 2,000 words, Alison? And did they do that? How, how did they make you accountable? To, um, yeah, how did they make you accountable? Well, we basically, there were, I'm still um, friends with, with all of the women that I was in this group with. We met randomly and mm-hmm. we became friends um, and several of them have gone on to be published authors. Mm. Um, but it was, it was about sort of like every, um, I can't remember how often we did it, every month or something like that you basically had to upload 2,000 words um, as part of your manuscript. And in my case, because I was writing faster than that, my 2,000 words weren't necessarily in any... any form of order, mm. but it was it was you know useful for people to be able to give me feedback on where characters needed more development, where you know where the voice wasn't quite right, where things were falling apart. Um, but our feedback was fairly general. We didn't get down to commas, whereas some writers groups get down to commas. Yeah, uh, and you need to decide if you want to be in a commas writing group or if you want to be just in a general kind of more more of a general format. Yeah, right. The commas group. <laughs> well, I, just, I can't think of a better way to talk about them. So. Sure. Do you want to be in a commas group? <laughs> Let's move on to um, a post that was written a while ago, but I really like it. And it was from Anne R. Allen's blog. And it's called Eight Bogus Rules New Writers Tell Each Other. And this is a good post because I hear people say these rules as if they're gospel. And I just scratch my head as to why. So she's written a post um, on this and uh, one of them, for example, is um, that uh, novels, <laughs> this is a bizarre one, cannot contain contractions. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's two weird for words. That one I haven't heard, but one I have heard is that people tell you that the word said, you know, he said, she said, is boring and that you should use more energetic tags like exclaimed or growled or ejaculated (laughs) or interjected. Maybe that's what she meant. Maybe she meant interjected. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so sometimes people say that, but in, in fact, as Anne points out, the word said is invisible to the reader. So it's completely fine to have lots of he, he said, she said, John said, and all that kind of stuff. And another one that I hear that she's written is in a memoir, everyone in your life must be given equal time. Or if not equal time, then everyone in your life at least has to be mentioned or, you know, acknowledged in some way. And I totally disagree with that because it's not, you're not writing a list of credits or anything like that for anyone who's ever appeared in your life. And I was um, doing a critique on a memoir uh, oh, when was it? Probably about a year ago. And um, I was reading this memoir and it had a, a potentially an interesting story, but everyone, instead of Susan, the name Susan, it would be S and instead of Mary, it would be M. And I thought, oh, maybe she's just doing this in the draft manuscript because she wants to protect the names and she doesn't want me to know them because I might know some of these people or something. And I asked her, you're going to fill these names in, aren't you? Like, you know, with real names. And she says, oh, no. I'm like, well, you can't leave them as S and M and whatever because the the reader gets confused. The reader can't just assume that they're S, that they're M, because especially when there's more M's (laughs) and more S's. So her reasoning was that she didn't want to identify them, fair enough, um, but she didn't want to, you know, put their real well, – and she didn't want to put their real names, but she didn't want to change their names because then they wouldn't be the people, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, that was just too confusing. You could just say some names have been changed in order to, you know, for privacy reasons. You can just state that at the very beginning or somewhere and you just got to give them names. It was just a very, very strange way to read a book and it was very, very confusing. And I said, there's, there's no way you can publish it like this. You have to give these people real <laughs> names. I mean, that's actual crazy. Names. Yeah, actual <laughs> names. But, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of these that, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes, um, that are just you, you can ignore these silly little rules. Mm, one, they're funny little rules. I mean, yes. there's, she's got one in here that says that head hopping is necessary if you have more than one character in a scene. So when we're talking about head hopping, we're talking about the point of view. So we're going to swap around um, from, you know, from person to person for each person's perspective on the actual scene, um, which is actually, I would disagree that this is even a rule that new writers think because it's such a very serious rule against head hopping. The only mm. people that get away with head hopping are people like Nora Roberts, who's been doing it for a thousand years and does it so well that the reader doesn't get lost. If you jump around point of view within one scene, um, your reader doesn't know where they are half the time. They don't know if they're Arthur or Martha, like seriously. Mm. Um, so I found that an interesting thing that she that she would put that, that new writers would think that. But mm. I don't know, have you seen that? 
Um, not so much that, but I have seen the another one which she talks about, which is all internal monologue must be put in italics. I do see that definitely. As obviously, some teacher or someone has told people <laughs> a whole age whole age range of people that this must be the case, and it's just not necessary. Interesting. Very strange. But, yes, we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to read further on it. But let's move on then to um, tax tips for writers who hate maths. <laughs> no. I would come underneath that category, so I'm fascinated by this. What are you going to tell me about? Well, How are you going to make it easy? I thought I would bring this to everyone's attention because – Tax time is coming up. Yeah, for and for the overseas okay. listeners, that might not be you, but for Australians, it's the 30th of June and you should be getting organised because it will be honest before you know it. So some things to think about because this was inspired by a post called Tax Tips for Writers Who Hate Math. So it was American. So I'm not posting that in the show notes because all of the tax laws are American and that's irrelevant to uh, you know, most of our audience, although I probably should put it in for um, our American audience. Absolutely, because yes. we, we have some US listeners and hello to you. I will put that, I will put it in the show notes and just make it clear that it's um, for US listeners. But I thought I would mention it because there are some things to think about that you might not have. Because one of the key rules of tax, and this is more referring to people who are freelance writers, you know, who write for magazines and newspapers, who are copywriters and that sort of thing, right, is that often I see a lot of writers who don't claim enough deductions, as in their expenses. Now, a lot of expenses can be claimed as deductions uh, so that that reduces your tax. You don't get it back from the tax office, but it reduces the amount of tax you have to pay. Now, technically, um, an expense incurred in the course of gaining accessible income is deductible, which means if you are writing a story for a major newspaper, well, it doesn't have to be major, if you're writing a story that you're being paid for and that involves, say, you catching the bus somewhere to, say, you know, do some research or go to an interview or making phone calls or overseas phone calls or anything like that or buying a book because you had to read the book in order to do the research for the story, all of those things, all of those little, little expenses uh, that are related to that particular story which you're going to get money from are deductible. But one caveat is you, the story needs to be commissioned. It, you can't be spending this in the hope of getting a commission. It needs to be something that you're definitely getting income from and then you can deduct those expenses. Have uh, you fallen asleep yet, Al? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I might need a coffee and perhaps we'll have to have a meeting. And if we have a meeting, then I can claim my coffee. <laughs> oh, my God. I think this is really interesting. Why doesn't oh, it it's fascinating stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. I've got a text you. Go on. For writers who hate maths. Yes. Um, find a way to organise your receipts so that you know where everything is when the time comes. Yes. There is absolutely nothing worse than be, to be rampaging around the house on the, you know, the 30th of June trying to get all your receipts and things together. So that would be one thing. The yes. second thing I would say is to uh, keep really, really good records 
open a spreadsheet because mm-hmm. I've got a spreadsheet. Keep keep really good track of your invoices. Where, yes. You know how much there were, how much GST was involved, um, when they were paid. Make sure you note when they were paid. Um, and any other form of income that comes in through your work, put it all on that spreadsheet so that when the time comes, you just go to your accountant with your spreadsheet and yes. go, here I am, look at yes. this. And Absolutely. And play a game with yourself because when I, my first year of freelancing, I started with that spreadsheet and my partner made the spreadsheet so that, you know, I had to fill in when I invoiced, when the money came in, all that kind of stuff. And he programmed it so that if I invoiced a certain amount over a certain amount, like, you know, I had targets kind of thing, in a week, a picture of my Rexy would appear. <laughs> my cat. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Gamified your tax. Yeah. You're crazy. <laughs> and I really wanted to have a Rexy week because if I didn't reach the target by or reach the target below, it would be a picture of John Bon Jovi. <laughs> so Rex tops John Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that just made it fun, you know. Yeah. But it's, anyway. It's difficult. Like when you're getting a lot of – when you're getting income from a whole range of different sources, mm. you've really got to get yourself a system of some kind to keep track of – where everything's at because otherwise you, you really get yourself and trust me I've been here because I don't like maths mm. um, I'm not Valerie it's taken me many many years to get myself into a position of being even vaguely organized <laughs> um, but do it because you will get yourself in a mess and you will end up with a tax bill and you do not want that <laughs> Yes, but also on your point uh, just before of keeping your receipts in order, my suggestion, there's two ways to go about this. There's the analog way, which is just put them all in a shoebox. So basically put them in your wallet and every week clear out your wallet and put them in the shoebox. That's a really old-fashioned way. Um, but that doesn't help if – because we, we spend a lot online these days. We know we buy subscriptions to things. We buy software online. So you don't get a physical receipt. So it's kind of weird to print it out and then put it in the shoebox. So what you can do – then as what I do is you have an Evernote and just for receipts. So anything that I spend online, I will I can immediately email it to to go into that Evernote and you can tag it software or whatever. But then if you get a receipt for your coffee or a magazine at the at the newsagent, you take a photo of it and you send that or you scan it on your phone and you send that immediately to Evernote and again tag it magazine or research or coffee or whatever. Mm. So that's um, one way to already tag them as you go so you don't have to do a big thing at the end. All right, let's move on to... Let's, please. Uh, yeah, I know. You just... <laughs> Can anyone out there please tell me if they found the tax tips remotely useful? I'm sure. No, they'll be very useful, useful things. No, I, won't, I won't bring them up again if people don't like them. Anyway. <laughs> We'll need to bring them up a couple more times because, you know, as you say, tax time's approaching and I'm sure you've got way more All right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. Our giveaway is a memoir mega pack. Five books, all memoirs. Wow. Yes, entries open. Uh, so by the time this podcast comes out, entries will have opened and you have a month actually. So Monday, 27th of June, you need to get your entries in and you can do that at writercenter.com.au slash win. And these are the books that you get. The Media and the Massacre by Sonia Vomard. And we spoke to Sonia just a couple of episodes ago. One Foot on the Podium by Don Elgin with Kevin Maloney. Truths, Half-Truths and Little White Lies by Nick Frost, 
In other words, by Jhumpa Lahiri, that's the novel we've referred to a couple of times. She's a um, she she wrote in Italian, even though her native language is like Bengal, Bengalese or Bengali or something. Eat, pray, love made me do it. <laughs> so these are life journeys inspired by Eat, Pray, Love <laughs> and an intro by Elizabeth Gilbert. I remember a year or 18 months ago, um, Elizabeth Gilbert actually putting a call out out there saying, has anyone, you know, uh, got a story that they want to share about Eat, Pray, Love made me do it? And that's obviously turned into this book. So uh, lots of, um, well, five great memoirs. And if you want to win, go to Writer Centre dot com dot au slash win this podcast is brought to you by the australian writers center a world leader in writing courses our blogging for beginners on demand course has been created for you if you want to set up your own blog but you're not sure where to start if you're a total newbie, this course covers which platform to use, structuring and naming your blog, what to write about, updating content and much more. By the end, you will have started your blog. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you can learn when and where it suits you with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentercomau slash blogging. Shall we move on to our word of the week? Let's. But before we do, I think we should do a Valinelle made me do it. Maybe people need to share their stories oh. in publication. And if you get there, let us know. And we'll have Valinelle made me do it. That's a great idea. A hashtag yeah. in the making. <laughs> Valinelle made me do it. Valinelle made me do it. Awesome. Awesome. If you have a Valinelle made me do it story, yeah, please let us know. Share. Yeah, either put it on social media and um, hashtag it, uh, it and and tag us, yes. or uh, email us at podcast at writerscenter dot com dot au. Right, our word of the week is. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we should actually have some sound effects. Um, <laughs> what rather than homemade ones? <laughs> yeah, homemade ones. Um, stultify. Oh. S T U L T-I-F-Y, stultify. This means to make useless or stupid or ineffective. So you might say that being in prison was stultifying if you had absolutely nothing to do or that the stultifying job that you, you know, go to means that you're so bored you couldn't achieve anything. Mm. So stultify. Try Very using nice. that in a sentence or a blog post this week. I think if you'd asked me what that meant, I would have it, – it just always brings to mind for me just complete and utter boredom. That's, right. you know, I have that tied up in my head together, stultify boredom. Yep, okay. Yeah, I think I would have thought something like stuck because of – I don't know why, which kind of maybe is related. Not really. No. Okay, we'll move on. But anyway, stultify. Uh who is our writer-in-residence this week, Al? Oh, very exciting. So this week I um, interviewed the lovely Sue Whiting. Mm. And Sue is um, a children's author. She was, a re- until recently, a publisher at Walker Books. Um, and she is now a, the, a new presenter in the uh, Writing for Children course, correct? Yes, Writing Books for Children and Young Adults. At, uh, at the Australian Writers' Centre. So... Um, 
we had a great talk because she's got such an interesting perspective on writing, having been both a publisher of children's fiction as well as a writer of children's fiction at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I, it was a, it's a really insightful interview, um, whether you're writing for children or writing for adults or whatever, but it's just an interesting, the different perspectives on, you know, reading other people's manuscripts versus writing your own um, was made for a, a really great chat. We had a great time. Sue Whiting started her working life as a primary school teacher with a special interest in literacy education and children's literature. In 2005, Sue left teaching to pursue a career in children's book publishing and until recently was the publishing manager for Walker Books Australia. She's also a successful children's author who has written picture books, chapter books and novels for teens. Most recently, her picture book Platypus, illustrated by Mark Jackson, was named a 2016 notable book by the Children's Book Council of Australia. Sue recently joined the Australian Writers' Centre as a Center. And now she joins us on our podcast today to talk about all the fun things about writing and not so fun things. So welcome today, Sue. Thanks, Alison. All right, so let's talk about... Be the... here. <laughs> Always good to be here. Let's talk about the beginnings. You began as a primary school teacher. When you left yes. to go into publishing, were you already writing books as well? Yes, I was. I had... Um... I had been writing probably for about five years and I think I got into publishing through writing. It wasn't something that I ever sought out. Um, I became an editor by extreme accident yeah. and um, ended up working for a very small press that was in, I had submitted some manuscripts to and they were just starting out. This is in very early days. And um, went from there to do some sort of freelance editing and it was really just a sideline. It was just sort of fell in my lap and I just sort of went with it because I thought anything that you do, particularly in that early part of your career, that helps you understand the business and understand writing um, more is, is of benefit. So that's why I started editing. And then um, the company that I had been doing some freelancing and some consulting for went bust. Oh. And... Um, twice actually, but that's a, it's a very long story. <laughs> twice. <laughs> the second time, um, I thought, okay, that's it. You know, the you know, the world is speaking to me, the universe is speaking, and um, I should just concentrate on writing and and you know, forget about this editing caper. And at the same time, there was an ad at for Walker Books, um, who was starting their list in Australia and was looking for an editor. And I didn't see the ad because I wasn't looking. And I went off on tour, a writing tour for a week, and I came back and my inbox was full of all these different people who said, Sue, Walker Books are looking for an editor. You should apply. <laughs> and, um, and I went, oh, okay. And it was past the, the date of uh, for the applications. It had, had long gone. And I thought, oh, well, they won't want an application now anyway. But just because all these people have been emailing me, I'll just email off a query. And they came back and said, oh, no, if you put in your CV today, that'll be fine. Oh. And um, and that's so I did. I didn't even have a CV. I quickly whipped one out. Up, I was going out to lunch. <laughs> it was like eleven o'clock. I thought, oh, okay. Quickly put one in, put it in. Unless I then I have you know done the right thing by those people who cared enough to email me. Anyway, I, as you can work out, I got the job, and yes. so my whole um, life turned around. So I left teaching and and headed off to um, a whole new world. And wow. I feel really privileged actually having two careers. You know, to have 
was 25 years as a teacher and then to leave teaching and go into an office, which was really um, such a different work environment, mm. and to have a whole you know, other career that I never had even thought about was really quite exciting and, and um, I felt really privileged to do so. Um, so what was the first, like, when you, when you said that you'd been submitting manuscripts to the small press and stuff and that's how the editing had come out, yes. what, what was the first book you had published and how did that come about? Ah, oh, well, the first book I had published um, was when I, you know, had started out and I was writing and sending things off and getting lots of rejections. I was totally clueless. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I knew nothing about the publishing industry at all. Mm. And I saw an ad, um, I must have learned something because I someone told me to, to join, you know, writers groups and writer centres. And I joined the New South Wales Writers Centre and they had um, a publication that had some ads and there was an ad for a company called The Book Company. Mm. And they were, they made novelty books and they were looking for a contract writer. Mm. And so I, again, I applied for that job. I had to write a hundred words on a, about a lion cub. And, um, lo and behold, I got the gig. And, um, I, which was a big shock because then the next thing I knew, I had a brief and I was sitting at my desk and I had to, you know, write this story by Friday type thing. And, um, so I started off in a different way to a lot of writers. So I was writing for this novelty. Um, book company for a couple of years. I probably wrote about 20, maybe even more um, different scripts for, for their novelty books. Wow. And so my very first book that was published with them was called Misty's Magic. I Misty's think it could magic. still be in print, actually. Yeah, about a fairy who lost her magic and had pop-ups and, and um, it was, you know, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, um, but that's how I got started. And it was a really good apprenticeship because um, I learned how to work with editors. I learned how to work to a deadline. I learned how to come up with lots of ideas and to think on my feet and lots of skills um, and to write, you know, to a very short, you know, word length you know, to, and to get a story down in sometimes 200 words. And, and so they were all really good skills to learn. It wasn't high literature. It wasn't the type of books I wanted to be writing in the future, but it was a great start. So were you at this stage while you're doing this contract work and writing Misty's Magic and other classics? Yes. Were you also... Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be... Were you also um, <laughs> writing your own stuff? Were you, were, were you working on your own uh, manuscripts at that time yes. as well? Yes, I was. I was um, writing the, the things I thought I really wanted to write, uh, lots of picture books uh, that promptly got rejected. Uh, so, yes, I think what, during this time too, I started to write for the education market. So my next lot of books that sort of came out was with the education market. So, And that I found, because I was a teacher and I was a literacy teacher, they were to me, sort of easy, for want of a better word, because nothing is ever easy in writing, but I felt like I really knew how what was needed in those books. Right. And so I wrote a lot of readers and chapter books for the education market. So, And, and I was doing that at the same time as writing for the book company. So that's because that's quite an interesting... And all the while dreaming... <laughs> Sorry? No, no, keep going. All the while dreaming of your own things. That's right, of, of writing you know, a novel or a picture book for the trade market. That was sort of where I was hoping to get to one day. Yeah, because the education markets, it's, it's actually an area that I think that we should probably do um, an interview with because it's actually quite an interesting area of the children's 
uh, book market that yeah. I think a lot of people overlook when they're starting out. They don't actually know how to get a, get into it or what's involved or anything like that. So I think that's um that's a good idea, Sue. Thanks for that. I'll be I'll be chasing that. One. <laughs> um, all right. So you've done you've you've done quite a good apprenticeship here because you've done novelty books, you've done education market chapter books and readers. Yes. Tell me about the first book that you had published that was like, this is a Sue Whiting book. Um, the first book that I had published uh, would it be Battle of the Rats. Battle which of the is, Rats? Was a, Battle of the Rats, yes. It was with uh, Koala Books. Yes. And it was a novel for 8 to 12-year-olds. And it was something, in fact, it was one of the first stories I started to write when I got the writing bug. And it's about a family that moved into a house infested with rats. And um, sadly, uh, my family and I had just moved into a house <laughs> infested with rats. <laughs> Funnily rats enough, we still live there, but the rats are now gone, uh, um, mostly. Yeah, Most, so I was mostly. drawing, obviously, as you are, mostly, you know, they come back occasionally. Um, but, you know, but it was terrible when we first moved into this particular house. We've rebuilt the house now, and it was um, quite an interesting um, part of our family history the, when we first moved here. And so I used a lot of that material, as you often do in your first novels and first books, um, used a lot of that material to write your story. And, and so I had been submitting to Koala Books for quite some time and um, I had submitted something and Kathy Casper came back and said, you know, I can see some promise in your work. Can you send me a range of things? And um, I had actually sent her everything that I had written, so I didn't really have anything to, to send, except I had the first, the, this Battle of the Rats that I had been working on. It wasn't finished. I just had a few chapters. And um, so I sent her that, pretending that it was all finished, just as a sample. And she came back and said, love it. Can I, you know, send me the rest? <laughs> so then I got picky. <laughs> Oops. As you do. So that was my very first novel. And wow. um, that was a really sweet moment, yeah. Great. All right. So, um, is it difficult to be a writer when you're also publishing other people's work? Like, in that, is it like difficult not to be distracted by what you're working on every day and what you're seeing around you and what's happening? I mean, how do you focus on on what you're doing when you're also focusing on other people's projects? It is difficult, and um, and it was you know something that you really a lot of people do it. As you can, you know, there's lots of people who are editors and also writers. And I found at different periods over the 10 years that I was with Walker Books in particular that there were times when I, I couldn't write and there were times when I was was able to write. And But it was a, a real struggle because you had to find the, the space, in, the creative space in your head for your own work alongside the creative space for all the other books that you're working on with other authors. Mm. And um, I found that writing daily, when I could get into the habit of writing daily, and I used to write on the train for quite a, a lot of the time that I was working between sort of two stations from Snell Park to, to Sutherland, which was before it got too busy on the train. It was about 20 minutes, and every day that was my writing time. So I was mm. squeezing in these tiny little spaces of time. And if I wrote daily I found that I was able to have my work sit in my brain alongside all the other one mm. you know books I was working on with in the same kind of way so I could just pull it out and work on it um at will and that was the way that I wrote my young adult novel Portraits of Selena 
Right. Which about the whole of that book was written in 20 minutes each morning on the train and bits and pieces on the weekend. But if I don't do that, it's really hard because you just um, your brain is too cluttered from um, other things and 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 other books and and it it, it becomes quite impossible. And I, that's one of the reasons that now you know recently I've just left Walker Books. And even though I love that job and it was a fantastic um, place to work and, and I have, you know, f- very fond memories and it was a very hard decision for me, one of the reasons was that I found that after 10 years I couldn't, I, I couldn't juggle it any longer. It was mm. just too hard and I had to make a choice. Mm. So I decided to have another life change and, um, and to put writing as number one. And is that scary? For a while. Is that like, like, yeah, I was going to say, because I, I, I think it's like, like when you're used to writing around things and fitting it in and 20 minute snatches and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Now there you are and you've got a whole week ahead of you and you're yeah. sort of like, it, is that expanse of time kind of scary? Um, well, when I was, you know, trying to imagine what it was going to be like, yes, it was scary. And because I haven't done it for a long time, there had been periods before I started at Walker Books where I'd had some leave and different reasons why I was able to work in some blocks occasionally. But I hadn't really ever done it. And I always knew that I worked better under pressure. So there were some doubts there. But I think I've only, I'm only two weeks into my new world. Mm. But um, the... I'm loving having the time at mm. the moment, and I think I've, I think from editing and working at a desk and working on you know big projects, and I've learned some really good discipline, and mm. so I am able to sit at my desk for longer than when I was say teaching, because teaching is flitting around um, on the go all the time, mm. and so so far it's such a luxury for me to be able to sit all day and concentrate on my own work that I'm loving it. Mm. But I am also a realist. I know it's going to, it, you know, it, the shine will wear <laughs> off um, and it will get more and more um, difficult because, I, you know, I know what, I've been writing long enough to know what it's like, but at the moment it's great. And I do have other things I have to do. I am doing some freelance editing and, and some presenting and tutoring, you know, on yes. with the Writers' Centre and, and so forth. So. Yes. And school visits, so I'm already feeling very busy and, and already um, feeling that I'm having to fit everything in, thinking, how on earth did I do it when I was <laughs> walking books all day? I don't know how you did it, to be honest, but anyway. Um, so, all right, so as a publisher, what, what, were you, yes. what did you look for in a book you wanted to publish? Like, what were you looking for in a manuscript? Yeah, it's, it's another, um, it's really hard question. question to answer and I'm sure everyone um, says a, a similar thing and you don't, you always ask that question, what are you looking for, what are you looking for and and you don't know until you read it basically mm. and it's not that we were looking, you know, I'll be looking for a particular, sometimes I was looking for a particular genre, like I might be looking for fiction because we didn't have enough of that on our list or I might have been looking for non-fiction or something because there was a gap um, you know, we hadn't had many submissions for that, but generally speaking, it was just something that spoke to me as a reader. And you know, there'll be manuscripts that you read and think, "Oh, I don't mind this. I like this. This might be okay." And you're sort of pondering, and that, you know, they may go ahead, they may fit your list. But the ones, there's others that you read, and as soon as you start reading, you know that this is it. This right. is the one that you, you have to publish. This, and it's just that feeling. I, you know, when you read a manuscript and you forget that it's a manuscript for a while and you get so absorbed or it's just so unique and it's just really got you, that's when, you know, you you know that 
that's the one. Mm. So it's it's voice, it's uniqueness, it's um it yeah it's just that that X factor I suppose, and yes. um and you don't really know what it is until you read it. If you look at a couple of the books that I've um, published in recent years, there's um, Meg McKinley's The Single Stone. Mm. And uh, I've been working with Meg for 10 years. And so I've sort of been um, from her very first book. And even her very first book, it was the voice of that book that, that got me with that. And um, it was just a, a beautiful, unique, different voice. And um, a single stone from the moment she started working on that, I always knew that this was just, you just could tell this was a special book mm. and um, and very different from all her other books. And then another book that we published recently um, called Margaret by Lee Battersby. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very unusual book about, um, I'll just, I can't get on and almost gave away the, the ending then about a graveyard setting actually about a girl in, who is brought up in a in a graveyard and um and she takes care of this baby very unusual voice very unusual story mm. but it's almost fable like but again as soon as I started reading this I just thought we have to publish this mm. and that's a really exciting time when you find that gem that just stands out and and um, and you can you never it's always where you least expect it often yeah. So if you if you saw that voice and perhaps there wasn't you know I guess what I what I think people are, are also interested to know is what makes you pass on a book like sometimes I yeah. think you know in the sense of do you see the same mistakes over and over again I mean is it you know if the voice is there will you work with someone to kind of bring everything else up or how you know, how much work is a publisher willing to do, I suppose, with a person? I think that varies greatly from publisher to publisher. At uh, at Walker Books, we were quite um, willing and happy to work with an author if we thought um, that the, there was something special there. Um, and we do, you know, we have, we do work quite um, long and hard with our authors through yeah. lots of different revisions and, and to and challenge them and, and um, to get the very best out of every story. But I think, you know, those ones that you might pass on, that it, I often used to talk about the almost, and they used to yeah. break my heart. I think they used to break my heart as a writer because you, you know how hard people work mm. um, on their on their writing and their stories, and some of them they might be have been writing for years, and, and they... They're, they're good, but they, they just don't quite get over the line for whatever reason. And and I, the advice I usually give authors is that you know try not to be the almost. That when you when you submit your work, try to make sure you've got everything covered. Don't think oh it's oh, that ending's almost right. <laughs> but you know, or or you know I know I need some work in the middle, but it's nearly there. Or I know that there's too many characters, but they can be edited out. You know, the, don't give the editor the chance to have doubts. Mm. So, um, I, you know, voice obviously is the most important thing because it's very hard to fix or change voice. So yeah. if the voice isn't speaking to the to me as a reader, that would be, you know, I would rarely want to... It has to be a really interesting idea mm. and for me to pursue that because it, that that can go terribly wrong sometimes because you, you, you can't... Some, Sometimes you just can't change that. Mm. But if it's a plot or character or or length or pacing or something like that, those things are easier to fix. Yeah. But if you're, you know, you don't, it's very competitive and you, you just want to try to do your best not 
to give the editor any doubt because when you get a manuscript that you have you you know want to publish you have other people you have to convince you're its first champion yeah. and so you know you have to be really confident that this is you know is worthy and this is something that any problems there can be fixed mm-hmm. and if it's a new author it's it's a bit you don't know that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more dicey a bit more dicey <laughs> <laughs> all right. So as a writer, are you working on different projects all the time or do you focus just on one thing until you get it as right as you think it can be? Um, well, it varies from time to time. At, at You know, different times I'll have um, different works, just, you know, working on different things at the same time. At the moment, um, I'm concentrating on one one novel that I'm writing and uh, and I have another novel that I'm sort of notebooking. And when I finished work, I thought I wasn't quite sure which one I was going to go with, one that I'd already started, mm-hmm. but this other new shiny idea that I was really liking. <laughs> and um, and I wasn't really quite sure what I was, what, what I was going to do, but I've ended up um, working on the one that I had already started and really pleased that I did because it's, it's a hard book to write. Right. Um, but I'm enjoying the challenge. And so, yes, I'm focusing all my energy on that particular work at the moment. And then I suppose any other ideas that come, I just sort of jot them down and I have a whole range of different notebooks for different purposes on my desk. And so it gets, the, you know, it gets sort of jotted down in a notebook um, accordingly and sort of put aside for the time being because I do want to really work hard to get this first draft finished and then I think I can sort of diversify and, and write a few different things. Okay. Because it is very easy to get distracted by the shiny new idea, isn't it? Like it's, they always oh, look so is. much more interesting. They do because it's all new and, and shiny and um, and you want to explore it and it's, it seems easier, I think. I think yeah. when you get, you know, sort of halfway into a novel and, you know, you can see all the problems a lot more and the things that you need to fix and it becomes harder and harder. So when a shiny new idea comes, it's like, oh, that's, that could be even a better idea to do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some research on that one because that's Ooh, yes. it's the beginning and it's all exciting and like a new relationship and and uh, let's go for that. But, yes, I'm trying to finish this one, which I think I will do because I think I'm invested. I've got to that point of no return. Right. Where it's, you know, you've, yeah, I mean, yeah, I have to see this one to the end, no matter what. Whether anyone might only be myself, my agent, whoever reads it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to finish it. Right. So do you have a preference for the, as far as the age group that you like writing for the most? Uh, no, but I wish I did because it would be, it'd be a lot easier, I think, as far as career-wise because mm. I write picture books right up to young adults. Mm. And so, um, which is great for things like, school visits because I'm one of those people that can go, you know, into high schools and preschools and, you know, so my speaker's agent mm. at the children's book um, shop really likes it because I can do all these different um, age groups. But as far as, you know, selling books and getting a profile and people knowing you as um, a writer of, you know, middle grade fiction or picture books or whatever, it, it when you write across so many age groups, it, it dilutes that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, I I feel like I want to uh, concentrate on sort of that primary, sort of upper primary age. Right. Okay. And the book I'm writing at the moment, sort of upper primary, lower secondary. Yeah. But the one, the shiny one, <laughs> book is uh, is probably more primary school, and I really like that age group. 
but I just really I follow wherever the ideas take me, right. and I you know so I have a couple of picture books of in the works and and I know that I'll forever just be doing all different age groups because I think that's just how my brain works. Yeah, yeah. So I just follow that idea. Mm. Do you um. I mean, each just on the picture books and and the, you know writing for different age groups. Like each section of the market brings its own challenges, um, yes. age group wise. Do you, do you think it's true that picture books are among the most difficult texts to get right, or because that's often something that people talk about a lot? You know, oh, picture book text is you know so difficult, um, much more difficult than doing other longer texts. Would you agree with that? Like you write all the different things, so you would know. Yes, <laughs> I think the they are. Things. Yes, I think. I love picture books. I think they're my first love um, as far as books go. And my, definitely my first crush with children's literature. I fell in love with picture books first. And they're a wonderful art form. But mm. they are very, they are very hard to get right. And they're very I mean, there's only about 500, 600 words. And you have to tell a complete story. And, and also tell it in a way that is bit poetic, not necessarily rhyming, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it has to have a particular rhythm and and a particular voice and you have to think about the illustration and the page turn and everything has to you know, the, every word has to earn its keep and it's and it's very hard to do that over you know, to tell a really riveting story over five hundred words. I mean you can there's you know, sometimes it can be less than that too, but it, it's really coming up with that unique idea and telling it in a way that, that no one has ever done it before because there's so many picture books that are, are the same story. Mm. I mean, just told with a different character almost. Mm. And those ones that really stand out are the ones that tell a different story that haven't been told or tell it in such a unique way. And I think that's getting increasingly more difficult mm. um, with time you know, to come up with that really unique idea and to... And to make it work. So while, you know, the first draft of a picture book, you know, generally takes a lot less time than the first draft of a novel, but uh, there's a lot of refining, refining, refining after that. And it um, and it is hard, I think, to get a publisher interested. There's a lot of investment in a picture book mm, okay. from the publisher, yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier, we, you talked about the, your speaker's agency and the fact that you do a lot of school visits and presentations and things yeah. like that. How important do you think it is for a children's author to get out and about? Well, I think I think it's very important. I don't think if you're a, you know, an aspiring author or if you are a children's author and you don't you know, see yourself as a speaker or, or want to get in front of kids and do school visits, I don't think it, you know, it's, that's the worst thing, you know, mm. there's, there's worse things. Mm. But I think it does help. I think uh, I think it certainly helps to get out and about and to get your books in the hands of kids because mm. unless you are one of those very few best-selling authors that are in, you know, your books are in all channels and they're advertised and everyone knows your name, like Andy Griffiths, who's mm. fan, you know, fantastic, mm. um, you know, there's a very few, pe- few Australian authors that sort of are at that level that... Mm. The kids will say, I want a book by so-and-so. And most of the books, uh, most of the authors, their books would be, um, you know, a hand sell. Mm. You know, a bookstore has to know it and it has to be a hand sell. And that's getting, become increasingly difficult because there's less independent 
bookshops. Mm. You know, you're lost online. You know, if you're not on that first front page, you're lost unless yeah. someone knows your book. So getting out to, you know, to schools and talking to the kids and getting them to know your books uh, is probably one of the best ways to, to help um, people get to know, to go to look, you know, on Booktopia or wherever um, for your book, to go to, you know, to ask for that particular book, you know, because mm. as you know, books aren't in bookstores for very long, you know, three months if you're lucky. Yeah. So, uh, but they are still available, but people have to know know your books and that's and I think it's one of the only ways to do that really is to get out into the schools and and to you know to to tell your stories tell the kids tell the and kids it's you're fun. there it is yeah, fun I, I love it. it yeah 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 it's very fun um so you also have a website which um is is quite comprehensive like there's a lot of resources and there's you know a lot of information and things like that there and you have an occasional blog are you like from the perspective of both writer and a former publisher like do you think that that's also important as far as discoverability is concerned that that sort of idea of you know being visible online as well Yes, I think it is important, and um, my website is out of date, but one of my jobs in my new life is to, <laughs> is to get my website and my blog and all these things all happening together in a better way, yeah. and, um, and, and I do think it's important. I don't think it necessarily you know, leads to great sales or anything like that, but that discoverability is really important, and I think people forever, um, you know, if they hear your name or if they see a book they like, the first thing they do is they go into Google and they, they want to know more. Yes. And if you don't have those places where they can say, oh, okay, she's done lots of books or, oh, okay, she does this, um, I think it just puts a little doubt in people's minds. So mm. I think it, it, it is really becoming increasingly important. Mm. And I know as a publisher, authors that haven't had an online presence, particularly when it's with young adult audiences, mm. I think it's really because the, your readership really engage in that space as well. Yeah. And the you know young adult authors who don't have um, that presence, it's really hard for mm. them. Mm. And the ones who do can really get a lovely fan base through mm. you know Twitter and Instagram and and so forth. And that's that's great because that's what you really, really, really want, particularly for those young adult ones, is to is to get that fan base. Because once you've got young um, people talking about your book, anything can happen. <laughs> the raving fan base, exactly what everyone yes. wants, right? <laughs> yes. Well, a really good example of that is um, Rachel Craw, who is a New Zealand author, and we um, Walker Books published her first book, which is one of it. I think we're up to the third book in this this series. Start off with Spark, and then Australia and Shield is coming up. And she had never been on uh, social media before her book came out, but she was just so natural with it. Mm. And um, and the books are great as well. But as a new author, and also from New Zealand, so that's a little bit harder in the Australian market as well. But mm. she has developed such a lovely fan base, and they, they call themselves the Spark Army, mm. and they are so loyal. You know, <laughs> they, they, they they are fantastic, and it really has had an impact on sales. So. So I want an army a, a good Sue. Story. I know. We Wouldn't you love to have us? Yeah, the Spark Army, and that and that was just spontaneous, and it's just taken off, and now you know it's growing and growing. <laughs> Fantastic, good honour. Um, all right. Well, we're we're sort of reaching the end of our chat, which has come up quite quick. Well, feels quickly, but um, so we have to um ask you our famous last question, which is, what are your top oh, three yes. tips for aspiring authors? 
Oh, top three tips. Um, well, I think, first of all, I think what we're talking about before is writing daily. I think that's really important. Um, it doesn't really matter what you write. It doesn't necessarily have to be your work in progress. But I think it, writing should become a habit and should become part of you. And it is a craft and it does need to be perfected and you can only do that if you practice it. Mm. I think it was um, Jodie Bacot, is that how you say her name? Uh, I always um, get who, it wrong, so I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I should, as soon as I started to say her name, I thought, oh, I shouldn't have said that because I'm not saying her name. I can spell P. it, but I can't say it. <laughs> Jody P., I think, um, who said something along the lines of that you should um, write daily and that you should write until um, your writing becomes a muscle that you can flex on command. Mm. And I know that's what I had to do when I was writing Portraits of Selena, and mm. it really worked. So I, I think that that's, that discipline and that writing every day is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's number one. That's a good Let's one. Let's see. Yeah. You're off to a flying start. <laughs> what about, um, I think you should write from your heart hmm. and be really honest in your writing. And, um, and it, lots of people, you know, ask the question, what's the latest trend? What should I be writing? And that's the worst thing that you, sh- you can do, I believe, as a writer, is to try to follow the current trend in particular because by the time you finish the thing, of course, the trend's mm. long gone. Mm. And it's also, it's not going to be true to you. I think the best writing is when it, you write something that's true to you and that way your unique voice can come through and you have something to say and you might start a trend. Mm. And I think if you try to follow a trend, say, oh, everyone's writing dystopian, I'll have to write a dystopian... Um, novel, if that's not something that really interests you and that's not your thing or you don't have a really strong idea that's just come to you that just happens to be dystopian, I think it comes across as fake and forced mm. and, I, and very rarely does it work. Mm. So I think you really need to be honest, write the story of your heart, the one that really is important to you and like the book that I'm writing now, I mean, I'm quite, I was quite serious when I thought, I don't really know who wants to, want to read this, it's a really sad story. Mm. But it's the one that I have to write for whatever reason. I've got this idea. I have to see it through. And it's the it's the book of my heart at the moment. Mm. And you sort of hope that they're the ones that will come across as being, you know, strong and authentic and true. So mm. writing from the heart. <laughs> I've got three readers now. I'm myself, ready. My I'm ready. And Alison. Yes, send it through immediately. <laughs> All right. And tip three. Um Ah, uh, tip three. Let me see. Um, okay, well, obviously, I think you need to read widely and and read in the, the genre that you're interested in and if and if you're writing for children in the age group like, that you're interested in and read books of that are current as well as books that you loved as a child. Mm. Um, and But when you're reading, I think you should try to read like a writer. So it's not just reading and enjoying. That's, you know... I'm sure most writers are readers anyway and they read widely, but I think you need to read as a writer. So if you read something and you think, oh, that was quite dull, start asking, you know, be curious, ask questions. Why was it dull? What did the author do that put me to sleep? Mm. And the opposite, you know, oh, that was a fabulous thing. You know, my heart was in my, my throat the whole way through. Go back and look and say, how did the writer achieve that? What did the writer do to achieve that? So, you know, reading and, th- as, and think like a writer as you're reading so you can see the, the ways that um, the writer solves the problems and, and how they get that mood or how that character is you know, described in, in three words and just and nailed. So 
I always keep a little notebook when I'm reading. Well, not always, but often. And if there's anything that just really sings to me, I just write it down. Mm. And I hardly ever go back to it, but it just I think they just sort of impregnate in your mind mm. a little bit and, and the things that really speak to you. And I think reading like a, a writer is a really important thing to do. <gasps> Three, done. Well done. That was excellent. I was <laughs> absorbed. And, and I've also got a manuscript to read, so I've done really well out of it. Three tips, haven't I? All right, Sue, I'll well. i finish it first. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. Um, fantastic you. and welcome to the Australian Writers' Centre presenting team. We're very, very excited to have you. And I think that um, people who are doing your courses, which you're currently doing writing for children and young, young adults, correct, online? Yes, that's correct. To start? Yes. yes. Um, I, would, I just, you know, I'm thinking about signing up myself, frankly. I think it'll be great. So, <laughs> I think you're fine. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, I'm excited to be part of the Australian Writers' Centre too, so it's a really nice. It's something a little bit different for me and yeah. um, using my skills in a different way, which is not always a nice challenge. Yeah, fantastic. All right, well, welcome aboard, and um, we look forward to seeing you. what you do next. Thanks, Alison. Awesome. And I'm so thrilled that Sue has joined the team at the Australian Writers Centre to have someone of her calibre and experience. Oh, it's just, it's an absolute genius thing. I I think if um, if it's an area that you're interested in and that you, um, or that you're working on at the moment, uh, it would be so worth doing the course with her because as I said, she brings both sides to the equation and both sides to the feedback. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just yeah, she's I mean she's great. She, I mean she's just given us so much information right there. I think that um well, you know, I feel like I've done a good day's work, so you know, <laughs> leave it at that, shall we? Yeah, awesome. All right, so let's go on to our platform building tip this week. And this link was sent to me by Ken. So thank you, Ken. And it's actually from the Daily Dot. And it's called Instagram is changing the way we buy and sell books. Mm-hmm. So basically, this is an article by Joe Piazza, who talks about the fact that, you know, before you wanted to be in Oprah's book club, you wanted to get on the New York Times bestseller lists, you wanted all of those things. And not that you don't want those things now, those things are still good. Um, But she talks about the fact that last year, she, her book, her novel, The Knockoff, was in the New York Times, in People magazine, it was excerpted on L.com and she, and you know, they, they did the usual press stuff. But then after the initial flurry, that was it. That was only an initial flurry. It the What kept her going, well, what kept the popularity of the book going was social media. And in particular, she talks about Instagram and that serious book Instagrammers are becoming as powerful as some newspaper reviews. Mm. Interestingly, and we'll put the link in the show notes because that, that lists some of those Instagrammers, which include book baristas, um, best book grams, last night's reading, <laughs> <laughs> and of course there's hot dudes reading, but that's a little bit different. <clears throat> Yes, oh, but still well worth a look. Yes, <laughs> and well worth a look. For the books, of course. Of course. Just, I only look at it for the books. For the books, yeah, 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 yeah. So an interesting point that she made is that sometimes just a um, when a celebrity like Reese Witherspoon or whoever 
just happens to Instagram that they're reading your book and it's they're genuinely doing it, not because they've been paid or anything, but because they're reading your book. Suddenly that book, the sales of that book could, you know, be massive. So it's the same thing. People with, you know, like fashion designers have been doing it for years where they've, they've just given, they've just sent books to, I mean, not books, they've sent clothes to celebrities in the hope that the celebrities will wear them. Well, mm. it might not be a bad idea to send your book to certain celebrities just in case it, that book appeals to that celebrity and then they, they Instagram it. I'm making, I'm making a mailing list for the Mapmaker Chronicles as we speak. Yeah, yeah. Because Reese has got kids, right? Yes. So, you know, Reese is, I'm sure Reese's kids. And Reese, if you're listening, you will love the Mapmaker Chronicles. Send it to Reese. Like, actually send it to Reese because I, um, you know, I used to own many a lifetime ago a, um, a fashion label <laughs> and we had a story... <laughs> We had a store in Pitt Street Mall. You are a fashion blogger, aren't you, really? Secretly. (laughs) Secretly. We had a store in Pitt Street Mall and we would do that. We would do things like, um, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith would be in town, so we would send her clothes or Will Smith took some of our clothes away. um, John Taylor from Duran Duran (gasps) has been spotted in Tokyo wearing our clothes. So... But that didn't happen unless you actually put the stuff in their hands. It's not like mm. they actually come and seek out your store, you know what I mean? No. So, yeah, you just got you send it to their hotel or you send it to their publicist or you send it to, you know, backstage behind the concert, but, you know, at the concert. Um, so, yeah, get your book into their hands, right? Okay. Okay, so that is an important thing to consider if you are building your author platform. And I think that that's really important that if you are writing a book, whether if you're writing a novel, and also don't wait until your novel is finished and published. Start building your author platform now, which is one mm. of the things that we teach in your course, Al. Um, we do. And I have to say that, um, I mean, we, we've discussed Instagram several times and I was very lacklustre about it to begin with, <laughs> as everybody will remember. And there was actually about three years between my last Instagram post and my first one around again this time. But this time around, I think it makes more sense to me and I'm, I've kind of embraced it. I Yay. have. But I also think it's the fact that I, I have ProcrastiPup now and it just gives me so when, when I can't think of anything to actually Instagram, I Instagram him. Okay. And he gets more likes than anything else that I ever do. I know. And I so, you know, it works out really well. So if you would like to share your Instagramming with me, please, um, I'm Alison Tate Writer yep. on Instagram and uh, you can see how incredibly new at it I am. <laughs> But Alison is not new at building her author platform. And if I'm you're not. interested in her course, go to writerscentercomau slash platform. Hmm. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode almost. Al, what are you up to in the coming week? Oh, well, this week I, um, I'm recovering from last week because, you know, I left my house about four times oh, last yes. week. So oh, that was a big week. Um, so this week I, I'm, I'm writing things. I've, I'm back to actually, I'm back at my desk and I'm working on, well, I'm finishing my course, Valerie, that we weren't talking about, mm-hmm. um, to on how to make time to write. Yes. <laughs> I'll be finishing that because yes. I've got a deadline that I've missed already. So I'll be working on that. Um, and also and some new writing that I'm doing. What about you? Um, I'm recovering from last week as well because, uh, you know, apart from soaking up the sun at the Sydney Writers' Festival, uh, I went to Fashion Week 
and um because you are a fashion blogger yeah right. <laughs> not a fashion blogger um and that was fun and you know what standing around in heels all day did you wear heels oh yeah you kind of have to there oh, <laughs> Valerie I know standing are you around... able to walk yeah I know it's very tiring <laughs> it took all weekend to recover whereas oh. you know you can wear flats when you're just walking around the wharves at the festival mm. um so yeah it's so this week um even though I've got a few things on like a few outings like that uh it's nothing like last week but I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed oh I've just got so many. You know when the the pile of books that you have to read is actually growing to the point where you don't know which one to read next and it's it's a bit like that. Anyway. um, You can do it, Val. Put aside some quality reading time. You'll get there. I will. I will. So where do we find you online, Al? Uh, You'll find me at alisontate.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, T-A-I-T. You'll find me on Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you will find me on Facebook also at Alison Tate Writer. And I have to say Facebook is actually one of my favourite places to be at the moment. I'm finding it – I know people complain about it, but I I just think it's – the conversations that you can have on Facebook, the lengthy conversations, I think are just so so satisfying. Mm, mm. What about you? Yes, you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Valerie Koo and look for my picture. Um, and I'm pretty easy to find. You mm. can find me on Instagram at Valerie Koo. Same for Twitter. And uh, yeah, now, of course, you can find everything at the Writer Centre. Writer Centre. All the things. <laughs> <laughs> Writercentre.com.au. All the things. All the things. Thanks so much for listening to us, everyone. And we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.